0: Welcome to Sassy. I'm Annie Merlowski and I'm your host. Each week we share the inspiring stories of female leaders throughout the tech industry. Thanks for joining us as we dive into the inspiring stories of career growth and development from women who are leading technology as we know it. Thank you so much for joining us today on Sassy. I am so excited to have Kayla Kirkby, Vice President of Partner and EMEA Marketing at Quantum Metric joining us today. Thank you so much, Kayla, for joining us on Sassy today to share a little bit about your experience working as a woman in software. To get us started, tell us a little bit about your role today and what were some of the milestones that led you to that position?
1: Yeah, of course. And thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and be one of the first in this brand new series. I am currently at Quantum Metric, we're a digital experience analytics software platform. and. Within our marketing organization today, I have responsibility across our EMEA field marketing efforts, as well as all of our partner and alliance marketing, and just work with a wonderful team. Uh, I've been here for about 18 months or so, and it's, it's been a really fun ride. And if If you back up in terms of my history a little bit, I've spent really the bulk of my career in B2B technology. And in those earlier years of my career, it was predominantly hardware as well as software solutions. I spent some time focused on data center services, cloud solutions, even managed IT infrastructure types of solutions, security solutions, and then have been with a number of SaaS companies now in the more recent years as well. Predominantly always on the marketing side of things, but dipping my toes into sales as well, and just overall go to market leadership. Yeah, and so it's it's there's been a lot that's happened in that time, and it's always interesting to kind of turn the page and look back. But you know, wouldn't wouldn't change any of it
0: now. That's awesome, and it's I think that that's very logical to kind of start in that hardware space and the evolution of hardware into software, and how all of that field has kind Mm -hmm. of become in some instances one and the same, right? Completely, completely. And I remember at
1: the time I thought, wow, this is really cool that I, that we have both a physical product that's kind of tangible. And we also have, the, we also have software. And I didn't really care all that much about the specific industry that we were in. But to me, it felt sort of like being within technology as opposed to maybe other industries at the time was like very innovative and we were always doing something new. There was always a product release that we were working on and there was always kind of this forward momentum pushing us ahead. We were always looking to the next thing. And I think it felt a lot more innovative at the time than it probably was or how I think about it now. But I just remember thinking, oh gosh, Being in technology and sort of close to IT, it might seem boring to some people, but it feels like we've always got this forward momentum and we're like on the cutting edge of thinking about what's new and what's next. And I really, really liked that and felt like I could always be learning something new as a result. And I've just kind of stuck around in that ecosystem ever since.
0: I love that. I think that that is definitely one of the reasons I was drawn into the tech space is that. It's that always innovation and especially now, you know, with the advent of AI, we'll see what happens in the next few years and how much faster things will become, you know, new releases and how can we use it to be smarter and, you know, more productive. Absolutely. So obviously your job didn't really exist when you were a child. What was it that you wanted to be when you grew up and how does that kind of tie back, do you think, to what you do today? Mm-hmm. I
1: grew up actually just outside
0: of Fargo, North Dakota, if you can believe
1: it. And I grew up in kind of a working class, you know, very blue collar family. My dad was in education and my mom was in administration for, at a, at a law firm. And again, like just very, both my parents worked and I had siblings and, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with my dad kind of behind the scenes. He coached athletics as well. And I, as a child, I just remember thinking, gosh, I think it would be great to make a lot of money. And so (laughs) I don't know how this happened, but I thought that being a lawyer, like being an attorney would be a really lucrative (laughs) career. And so I remember taking some of those tests, like in middle school, when they're, they're asked, they're testing you for aptitude across certain things or something, and you've got to provide like, you know, what roles you think would be interesting. And I just remember thinking that being a lawyer would be good because I could make a lot of money. But but I also was sort of like, I don't know if I want to do this. It seems like a lot of arguing with people and I don't know about that. And then when I ultimately got closer to high school and college, I actually had a decent aptitude for accounting. And I really, my teachers sort of saw that in me and I had opportunities to be a teacher's assistant and tutor other students and things like that in accounting. And then I also thought, well, I think I could make a lot of money, but this seems like it would be boring. So, and I think I need, <laughs> I think I need more social interaction. And so anyway, I ultimately ended up in marketing actually through, I would say both my college and undergrad experiences, as well as a series of internships that I had in my early days that were really, really impactful and exposed me to a lot of different things within the marketing footprint. And I just have stayed there ever since. They were really, really tremendous experiences in terms of exposing me to all types of marketing, getting me close to sales and understanding the relationship between the two and how important the alignment is.
0: And... I just kind of knew that that was where I wanted to be. That's awesome. And I think I can see kind of a correlation between accounting and marketing and and even law and marketing. You know, there's negotiate contracts and you track budgets and more than more than anybody knows when they think, you know, if you're as a child thinking of what marketing is, I don't think anybody realizes that there's a lot of, you know, accounts receivable reconciliation to make sure that everything comes out right on the other end. Yeah, not my favorite part, I will admit. But yeah, I'll do it from time to time. Well, tell us a little bit about how you maintain your work-life balance. And do you think it's different as a woman in tech than it could be with your male peers?
1: I think every single person has kind of their own balance or blending of career and personal life that they have to navigate throughout the course of one's career. And I think not to rewind and Say the C word, but my gosh, COVID and being in the middle of a pandemic, I think made so many people think differently about how they blend or balance those two things. And so for me, I think I probably throughout my career learned some things the hard way in terms of different sacrifices or maybe times when, admittedly, I can look back and know that I was out of balance in terms of the amount of time I was spending. Um, in certain areas of my life and just wanting that to be a little bit more equitable. And so I also think part of it is just kind of getting older, getting more comfortable in your own skin and getting more experience and being able to say no and create boundaries for yourself in terms of what you need as a person and prioritize what's important to you. And I, I also think I've, what I've learned along the way is that there are, You know, everything's temporary and there are seasons to almost everything. And sometimes there may be a season in your career where you've really got to put your foot down on the gas and push hard because you've got the opportunity to do so, or you see a big milestone in front of you, or you're just in that place. And there may also be seasons in life when that needs to take a backseat and you need to prioritize what's happening within your family or your personal endeavors or your personal growth or any number of different things. And I think that's okay. You know, it's not like a linear thing. And it's something that I've really tried to work on. I can't say I'm the greatest at it. It's a, it's something that's constantly at the forefront, I guess, for me and something that takes a lot of work and just you know, a thoughtful approach and certainly a, a a support system around you, both on the personal and the professional side of things. So.
0: No, that totally makes sense. And I think that that's a skill that we're all growing and learning. And you have to take that, take a beat and recognize like, well, what am, how am I spending my time? You know, even personally, like if you're spending your time, you know, on social media excessively, like maybe that means you're not paying enough attention to your family and living in the moment. And, that can happen in any space in our lives.
1: Yeah. And I think for me, you know, living in Colorado, we're so lucky to have a ton of fantastic outdoor activities nearby. And I certainly embrace many, many of those in a very stereotypical Colorado way. But I think what I've learned is like getting outside, being active, those things are really, really important for me for balance. And I've also found that I might be working on a big problem at work. And if I take a break and step away in the middle of the day and maybe I go for a walk or, you know, it's after work and I'm going for a hike or I'm on a bike ride or I'm on a trail run something like that, like my brain will be working and solving those problems as I'm doing that. And I've come up with some of my best and most creative ideas in those types of environments. And so I think there's something to be said for those types of kind of inspirational moments too, and just getting out of the day-to-day and getting a bit of a change of scenery. I think that's something that is really, really important and something that I've realized is important for me personally.
0: Well, I- I love that. I think that that's especially if you have any kind of creative job or, you know, strategy where you have to come up with strategy, like you almost need a little bit of that headspace to give the best of yourself. And I had a, he was a creative director at an organization I worked at. And I remember he'd said that whenever he felt roadblocked, he would just leave in the middle of the day and go to the movies. And it was like, that was what he needed to reset. And he had said that suggestion. He's like, sometimes you just have to leave. You just have to leave and get that space. And then when you come back, you will be more prepared to be able to do whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like all things, right. And easier said than done, but if I'm not taking care of myself and making sure that I'm getting what I need as a person, I'm not going to show up for others around me, whether it's my friends, my family, My colleagues at work, the people who are depending on me in so many different ways—like, I'm just not. And so, you've got to make sure that you're investing the right time and energy into yourself in order to do that. And like I said, I think sometimes you learn that the hard way, but it's really, really important.
0: I love that. I think thinking of, of giving your time back to yourself as an investment is a really wise way of thinking about when you're making those commitments. If it's going to the gym or, you know, seeing family and friends, like that's a different, it's a different kind of investment, but it's an investment.
1: I have a very wise colleague who shared a quote with me that she leans on a bit. And it's this notion of staying loyal to yourself. And so if I tell myself that I'm going to invest time in, like you said, going to the gym or taking a vacation, the back half of next week or what have you like staying loyal to to yourself, following through on those things and really showing up for yourself so that you can then turn around and show up for others, right? And be your best self.
0: I love that. That's awesome. As a woman kind of working in what can be a really, you know, male-dominated field, have you ever experienced any bias? And if so, how have you overcome it?
1: I definitely have. I think, I mean, we all have in our own ways. There are so many different kinds of biases that can come into our day to day. And I think, you know, there are even now tools that can help us diagnose and get to the bottom of those things. Our people operations team actually just rolled something out to us that will help us reduce bias in job descriptions and some of our job postings, for instance, and just the language that we use. Right. I think, I think it's really easy to identify bias When you are the victim of it or when you observe it as sort of an outside party, it's much more difficult to look inward and identify how you might be applying bias in your day to day or to your interactions. And I think that's, I don't again, like easier said than done, but I think that's something that I've learned over time is maybe take a first pass in looking inward and how you're approaching things and then I think as you grow in your career, the other thing, at least that I've learned, is like we all have a voice and it's incumbent upon all of us to use that voice, right? If you're not using your voice and escalating, putting forth your ideas, whatever the case might be, you're sort of feeding into these potential biases that exist, right? And ensuring that there is not diversity of of thought in terms of your teams or in the workplace or your entire organization as a whole. So to me, diversity of thought is something that I really, really highly value. And getting that diversity of perspective, being able to challenge one another and do that in a way that is respectful of everyone's different perspective and kind of tries to break down those, those biases that I think we all bring, whether or not we recognize it or want to admit it.
0: that totally makes sense. And I think you almost as a leader sometimes to get that diversity of voices, you have to facilitate conversations and recognize Mm -hmm. when people aren't speaking up or if you're on a Zoom call or in person, you know, being able to watch their body language that, you know, maybe something was said that made them uncomfortable and even taking the time to dig into that and find out, hey, like I'd love some feedback on what was in your head at that moment. Absolutely. And I think from the marketing
1: point of view and kind of go to market, perspective, since that's where I live in the organization, I think it's really easy to lose sight of where your focus should be. And that is on the customer and or on your prospect or your ideal target. And even when thinking about crafting messaging or making product enhancements or how to best go to market, you really have to let your biases fall to the wayside and look at what is the customer telling us? What is the market dictating? What is the market asking for?
0: Let's go ahead and take a quick break to learn about an amazing event coming up hosted by Lady Bird Talent. Are you ready to step into the future? Join us at Hire Women Week, a groundbreaking hybrid event dedicated to challenging biases and uplifting women in tech and leadership. From January 22nd through 26th, you'll explore job opportunities, match up with a mentor, learn from industry leaders, and connect with like-minded women and hiring teams. Ready to sign up? Registration is free at HireWomenWeek.com. This January, chart your path and change the game at Hire Women Week. And, And then I also think, gosh, today we have
1: so much data at our disposal. I mean, we can be swimming around in data all day long, but it's, to me... Those two things what is the customer telling us bring it back to what they're asking for what they're demanding and what they're desiring and then backing that up with a data-driven approach versus mm-hmm. what I think based on my experience or what my instinct says there's a time and a place for all of that but even within those points of view we're all bringing our bias and I think it's really easy to to fall into kind of that that trap so to speak when the focus really should be outward and it should be on the customer. So well,
0: absolutely. Especially because it's it's very rare that you are your own customer, mm-hmm. especially in the marketing space. You know, it's more often than not you're writing something for people who you've never had that job, you have yeah. no, you know, a base knowledge of their industry. And if you're not taking the time to actually dig into that and you're just writing it from the way you think, from your side of the table you're going to miss a lot of the important things that's really going to motivate folks to want to work with you or motivate folks to just, you know, be inspired by the message you're trying to put forward. Absolutely. When you are, you know, looking at companies, whether it be, you know, companies that you want to hire as vendors or companies, you know, if you were to switch careers, what are some of the things you look at and how do you perceive, you know, whether or not you want to work with a business? I guess I think a little bit about a few
1: different things and that, and it probably is more about me and what I'm looking to get out of this next phase of my journey or what I'm looking to achieve or the experience I'm looking to gain or how I'm looking to grow. For instance, I start there typically more so than, you know, what's their product? How are they doing within the market? All of those things are important as well. But, and this probably comes back to some good advice that I got along the way, which is if you're not intentionally managing your career, it will just pass you by. And so if you're not thinking in a pragmatic way about, you know, what type of organization is going to be best for me? What type of experience is that going to create for me? How am I going to learn and grow and be challenged? Or what do I want out of this next journey? I mean, gone are the days of people spending decades in the same organization. So you're you're taking these different stops along the way with different teams and different kinds of organizations. And I think it's really important that you sort of pause every so often and think about what those varying experiences can bring to you, whether it's thinking about the organization on the basis of size or stage of growth. I mean, working for an organization that has 30,000 people is far different than working for an organization that might have 300 or even 30. So that's a lens that I typically suggest people apply to their organizational assessment when they're thinking about making a move or maybe accepting a new role or, or thinking about what's next. And then certainly that specific role, how is it going to round out your experience? How is it going to push you, challenge you? Are you going to advance in terms of your skills and your expertise? Does it help you become a better leader, a more well-rounded individual and in what ways? So I think just... Being really intentional about that and taking a pause every so often to sort of audit where you are and where you may have some gaps or where you're being pulled as well in terms of the things that really fill you up and give you energy. And how can you put yourself in a situation where you're doing more of that? There's no such thing as a role where I absolutely love 110% of the things I do all day, every day. That's, I mean, maybe it's out there. I'd love to find it, but we all have those ebbs and flows. And I think, you just need to figure out how to put yourself in the optimal spot to drive that passion and to drive like sort of pull out what of you what is the absolute best and so doing that with intention and just some thought and i don't think it needs to be a big you know thesis or anything but so often we just don't stop to reflect on it and I got that advice and I've given it to others plenty of times. And so those are some of the things that I try to consider when I think about, you know, what might be next or what I want to get out of a specific part of my career journey.
0: I love that. I think that that it makes a lot of sense that especially, you know, depending on where you are in your career and what's going on in the market, you know, to really take that step back. You know, I think we hear a lot about how people like rage apply, they, they have a bad meeting, and they're angry, and then they go and apply for a bunch of other jobs. Well, that's not necessarily going to solve whatever yeah. it is that that is causing that pain point or that stressor mm-hmm. in your life. And you want to be really thoughtful. And it's, you know, an interview process is, is a two sided interview, you can as you know, someone seeking to make a change choose that that is not the right place for you mm-hmm. for any reason. Yeah. And it's okay to say no, the other thing I would say is you don't have an actual decision to
1: make until there's a job offer sitting directly in front of you. No, so, I love often, that. so often you think about, well, I'm in my current role and I don't know if I want to go someplace else. I don't know if I want to apply for this. I don't know. Last time I checked, you haven't submitted a resume. You haven't interviewed with anyone and you certainly don't have an offer in front of you. So what do you have to lose you know a little bit and then people so often negotiate against themselves you know they're thinking well i don't have all of the the requirements or it doesn't list this thing or i mean it, it's just you don't know until you get in there and you actually have some meaningful conversations and you do some of that investigation yourself and i would say the one the one additional thing you asked me earlier you know what do i look for in an organization the one thing that I refuse to do in my career is work with people who are jerks (laughs) work with people. I mean, it's so foundational. It sounds so easy, but it, I just, I don't have time for it. And (laughs) I I don't think that we should tolerate that. So, I mean, working with good people who are well-intended, who are smart, who are passionate about their work and make a good team like these things sound like such a basic recipe but my gosh if you can find that it's awesome and it makes such a difference to the day to day. I mean, I was earlier this morning just reflecting on my week and kind of making a list for next week and thinking about okay, what do I still need to finish today and that sort of sort of thing. And certainly plenty of Challenges, plenty of things that didn't go my way this week or that I didn't get to or didn't complete and stuff that's going to roll over to next week. But you know what I also thought of is I laughed so hard a few times this week with the people that I spend so much time with, certainly more sometimes than my family and my friends. And I just laughed my ass off. I mean, and like, if you're not doing that and smiling and having a good time and like you're able to do some of those things or work through challenges or make jokes about the stuff that we're dealing with every day, I mean, what are, what are you doing? So I think there's just a ton to be said for that. And I've, I've learned that along the way that it it comes down to the people to me, at least more than
0: almost anything else. Well, it's true. You can solve anything with the right team any mm-hmm. problem is, you know, it's not insurmountable when at least if you're not going to solve it, you're going to put forth your best work as a team and you're going to have, you know, feel like you've, you've empowered yourself to do something that's meaningful for you, even if it's not, you know, necessarily whatever the end goal might've been. hundred percent. So have you ever had a mentor that helped shape your career path?
1: I've had a ton of fantastic mentors. I've been so lucky and, I've also been in a position where I've now been able to mentor others and serve as a mentor, which I just absolutely love. You know, I think a lot of the mentors that I've had in my life and career have been so wonderful in terms of seeing something in me and validating the potential that I have and really pushing me to go for it. And just sort of like having that belief in you, you know, not just providing advice or maybe helping you work through certain challenges at that stage or what have you but really helping you see the bigger picture and your potential and like kind of being the wind at your at your back right and i've had a handful of them men and women both at different points in my career and some that have happened just kind of naturally and some that i really sought out and was intentional about and made a very specific ask of these people and you know i think These people sort of come and go in your life and in your career at just the right moment. And you just, you've got to be open to really leveraging them and making those interactions really meaningful and taking what you can and what you need from, from their advice. And yeah, because when you look back, which I now have the luxury of doing, it's, it's a really neat thing to see how they've dotted my path and played a big, big part.
0: And how have you, when you've intentionally sought out mentors, like what have you asked them for? What have you asked them to do for you as a mentor?
1: Yeah. So I can think of one individual that this was a person who I really admired his career path. And I, at the time I felt like when you looked at his career path, it's almost as though I was on a very similar path, but maybe I was five to seven years behind. And I wanted to just know and understand, okay, how did you get to from point A to point B and tell me your different pieces in the journey. And one thing I wanted to know at that point in time was how have you evaluated career opportunities along the way? And I made a very specific ask of that person who is in my network and said, you know, I, I would love to pick your brain about these things and get a little bit of mentorship if you're willing. And can I take you to coffee? And I think what I've learned is people very rarely say no when you're asking for help. I'm not good at asking for help. I'm That's something I'm really working on, but I will say like what I've learned is people want to help. They genuinely want to help. And if they don't, then maybe they're assholes, but maybe they just can't or they don't have the time or the bandwidth and that's fine. But I think, people do almost always genuinely want to help in some way when they're called upon or when they're asked. And not to mention, gosh, when people have come to me and said, could I get some advice or mentorship or can you support me in this way? I can't think of anything that feels better. Makes my day, makes my week. And I love doing that. I love helping in that way. I can't recall a time when I've passed on an opportunity like that or said no. And so I think you've got to raise your hands. You've got to keep your eyes open for those people because they show up. They do sometimes when you least expect it. And you've just, again, it comes back to being intentional about how you leverage them and how you use them. And it doesn't have to be like a lifelong relationship either. It might be just for that specific season in your life or for a few years or relative to a specific role or development path that you're on. And that's okay. And I think that's really normal.
0: I think it's such a great thing to to your point of like when somebody asks you for help. I think that's there's so much fear about asking for help, but when you do ask for it, people are willing to give. They're willing yes. to even if it's, you know, just helping you make a connection with someone in their network. Sometimes, you know, that's all it has to be. But mm-hmm. that's how we as humans are building relationships and building communities and, you know, despite our virtual world that we're in at this point, I think there's a lot more ways that we can have that interconnectedness and mm-hmm. keep it alive hmm. Mm-hmm. So kind of to close us off, what piece of advice would you give to a woman who's considering a career path in SAS?
1: Go for it. Do it. What's holding you back? Why not? There's so much opportunity if you're drawn to it and if you feel passion around it and it's interesting and you think it's going to bring out the best in you, then do it. Absolutely. And I think SAS specifically is a place where there's always room for great ideas. No matter who you are or what part of the organization you're in or what your seniority level is or your background and experience, there is always room for good ideas. And you just have to keep that in mind, raise your voice, surface those ideas. It's this constant, like I referenced at the beginning, it's just this constant forward motion. And you're not going to do that without great ideas and innovation and iterating and getting a little bit better every day. and it, When you work in that type of environment, it's incumbent upon all of us to bring those good ideas and
0: to raise them up. So, Well, thank you so much, Kayla. What's stopping you? Do it. (laughs) No, I completely agree. There is no good reason to not. If you see something that looks interesting, you should jump. Mm -hmm. Hands down. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you sharing your story and I hope that everybody else is so, you know, as interested as I was. Of course. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Sassy. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or join us on LinkedIn at Sassy Podcast to stay in the know about future episodes and guests.